This is Drew here with my little sister, Ashley, and best friend, Derek, and you are listening to New Release, a movie podcast with a time-traveling twist. Ashley, when the heck are we this week? (laughs) Well, we're still in 1990 all year long, but it's late September and summer is officially over. The leaves are turning golden brown, the mornings are cool, and the number one bestseller on the nonfiction charts is Millie's book. Written by First Lady Barbara Bush and told through the perspective of their dog. Yes, it's Millie the dog describing a day in the life of the Bush family. (laughs) Okay, interesting. Please, for the love of God, tell me we have a sound bite. Uh, I wish. Unfortunately, they never recorded an audiobook, but I did go to the store this morning and grab a copy. I'll do my best Millie as Barbara impersonation. (laughs) Okay. All right. Can't wait for this. The babies grew and grew. At first, they slept on shredded newspaper, but they got dirtier and dirtier from the ink. I'm afraid the bar caused several newspapers great discomfort by mentioning publicly the fact that she enjoyed reading their newspapers, but hated the dirty ink. The prez came to the prez. That's funny. The president. Yeah. The prez. <laughs> the dog's calling the, the prez. Came to the rescue by getting rolls of unprinted paper for my babes, and that cleaned up their act considerably. As the weather got better, they spent hours on the South Lawn playing and sleeping. We carried them down in a great plastic toy bag. Wow, so, what, a, what a book. Yeah, incredible uh, prose there. I'm looking over your shoulder and most of the page is pictures. So yeah. do you yeah. want to describe the pictures that accompany this um, incredible story? Sure, it's just some cute puppies yeah. um, <laughs> with shredded newspaper and then them all in a giant plastic bag and this guy carrying them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're flipping through the book, there's probably like, you know, the equivalent of 20 pages of text and, and a lot of pictures, which is a good ratio for a dog. Yeah. Yeah. For a dog book. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it was written by a dog. So yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Dogs for dogs. Um, okay. Well, that's, that's all good and well, but, uh, I want to talk about some serious business. Ashley, can you look through the newspaper and see what new movies are showing this week? Sure. Um, all right. Let's see. There's a Dolph Lundgren action movie where he plays a renegade cop called Dark Angel. Hmm? So Dolph Lundgren, star of Rocky Four, and played He-Man in Masters of the Universe. Yes, for anyone yeah. who, who <laughs> doesn't know. Um, okay. That's that's interesting. Sounds a little generic action. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. What else? Um, all right. Let's see. We have, ooh, ooh, maybe that maybe. Okay. Uh, we have a psychological thriller with Melanie Griffith. Matthew Modine and Michael Keaton called Pacific Heights. The tagline is, it seemed like the perfect house. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Done. We'll Sold. pick it. <laughs> yeah. I love Too Good to Be True House movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favorite sub genres. Yeah. And what a killer cast. How many M's do we have there in the names? One, two, three, four. four. Yeah. Four <laughs> M's and three stars. Pretty good. Not to mention Millie, the true star of this week. Yep. <laughs> So we got Millie, Melanie, Matthew, and Michael. Um, Oof, okay. <laughs> let's, let's go to the movies. Was that a live dog in the background? Yeah. Excellent. Live dog. Wow. Perfect. Yeah. Millie is all, all over. If he's going to get caught, over this. we'll catch her. He destroyed our property. If he's in, he's got rights. What are you doing, Trent? He shot my boyfriend. And you're telling me to forget about him? What are you doing? Something's going to make us feel really good. It could happen to anyone. It could happen to you. Mr. Hay, is that you? What am I going to do with you, Pat? Pacific Heights, rated R. 
Starts Friday at theaters everywhere. Ah, cool. <laughs> Creepy, man. Yeah, wow. So we just got out of the theater for uh, after seeing Pacific Heights, and that was an experience. Um, Michael Keaton, not not the nice guy that that we thought he was. Actually, he kind of plays. All, I never really all thought he was a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Um, Ashley, what um did you had you heard of this movie going in, or you know was this your first kind of um impression of it first impression never heard of it before but the only i only think of michael keaton is beetlejuice and that's like pretty much it right so the role wasn't really surprising i was like ooh, he's creepy again <laughs> good, yeah good point that's i wasn't even i wasn't even picturing him in that role that's like um that makes this this character look <laughs> pretty normal by comparison yep, exactly. so but he is anything but normal what is the setup for this for this movie? It's it's kind of your uh, psychological thriller template, but um, what's what's kind of the circumstance that that brings these three stars together, Ashley? Sure. So Melanie Griffith and Matthew Modine, I think their names are Drake and Patty. Yep. They get this beautiful house in San Francisco, and they decide to remodel the whole thing and then rent out the bottom two units to tenants. And then they'd stay on the top part and they rented out to this like wonderful Asian couple, one of the units and the mm-hmm. other unit gets rented out to Michael Keaton's character, um, Carter Hayes. And he is not great. <laughs> yeah. The, the movie has a cold open where before we're introduced to Matthew and, and Melanie, we see Michael Keaton um, through like a TV screen um, having sex with, uh, with a blonde woman. Um, once they're done having sex, we get a nice, uh, boob shot after yep. the fact that was kind of unnecessary, but, um, that was, uh, Jamie suggested that anytime there's a boob shot, an unnecessary boob shot in a movie, we take a shot. So we can think about introducing that. Be like in the future. A beer, I feel like well, and th- that was the only one though. It was a one-off. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we can handle that. There's, uh, but uh, introduce or uh, interrupting their steamy affair um, are two kind of like thugs. That's actually their name in the credits, Thug One <laughs> and Thug Two. They uh, they bust into Keaton's place, which is not, which is probably not his place. It's an empty like prefab house in a new development or something. Yeah, I'm sure he just like scammed his way into getting that as well. So. Yeah, or he's just like holed up there and nobody knows. Oh. So mm-hmm. anyway, they find him. They beat the shit out of him. And that's how we're introduced to Keaton's character. We're not supposed to, there was no like way to mistake that as like he was wrongfully attacked, right? No. You're like, yeah. oh, he did something like he's a bad guy. Right. So that's, that's, we don't know what he did, but we are introduced to him knowing that he's hiding something and that he's up to no good. So cut to Modine and Melanie um, touring this beautiful house. And the, the, the wrinkle is, you know, that it's out of their budget. Basically Mm -hmm. they have to fudge the financial numbers on their application. They have to make sure right away, um, regardless of their better judgment that they fill these two units with tenants Mm -hmm. because the the pressures are on pressures on. Well, the house Uh, costs $749,000 in 1990. So like, that's pretty absurd. And the rent, um, I thought the rent was interesting. So the one bedroom unit is going for 1300 
mm-hmm. and the studio is a thousand, which yeah, yeah t- 30 years in the past is <laughs> pretty <laughs> substantial. I mean, it's San Francisco in mm-hmm. a pretty prime location. Um, not a bad, like probably the right price for the house, but, but yeah, certainly is like a, a, a million plus dollar house now. Mm-hmm. And they live in the attic, uh, sort of like <laughs> I do back in Portland. And I have two apartments under me. <laughs> it's kind of a similar uh-huh. setup um, where, you know, before they were doing that in more like rural cities, they were doing that in, in big cities, a lot of shared like houses that have um, some of the rooms turned into apartments. So mm-hmm. I know we're talking a lot about the logistics of the real estate, <laughs> but I kind of find that interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you like the house? Oh, the house is beautiful. Yeah. It's like an old Victoria. Like it was just, yeah, it was gorgeous. Like an ideal house to own um, in San Francisco minus they're not being like a big yard or anything, but I'm sure there's like a park across the street. So. Right. comes with a beautiful fluffy white cat. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> they do a lot of the, the renovation themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, to cut costs, they, they paint and do some of the electrical work and yep. refinish cabinets and they, they fixed up. It's super beautiful. Um, they make love on the floor. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, we know something horrible is probably brewing when we see uh, Keaton's character pull up in his black Porsche, like with a stack of phone books everywhere he goes, Yeah, <laughs> which I had no idea what the phone books were really for. Um, for listings to figure out like the new, I well, he, had, were, some, like, realtor. he had printouts, but he oh. also just like every time they showed his car or in their apartment, like the first thing he moved into their apartment was phone books. Oh yeah. That's, I don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you like think about how they handled? So they have this, they find the, the Asian couple, um, lovely folks and, um, seem like perfect tenants. Then they have this interaction where Melanie Griffith, she's like the one orchestrating the, the showings of the space. Mm -hmm. And she meets with this black dude, um, and he wants the place, but then they have like a little conflict over the application. Did you think, how did you think the like kind of racial stuff was handled? Um, I mean, it was handled. Okay. I mean, she clearly, she wanted that guy to move in and yeah. her partner was like, no, like this other guy just offered me all this cash up front, blah, blah, blah. Like, and the other one hasn't even like filled out his application yet, or he has, but he, they never got it. So, yeah. I mean, so you take the application you get first, even well, though he's a liar. Well, so there was a couple, yeah, like things that were out of people's control. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who applies for the house, who turns out to be like a police captain um, in a nice little twist later in the movie, mm-hmm. he sort of has a knee jerk reaction to her asking to run his oh, credit right. because he's one probably deals with people like with racist cops in his workplace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and two, he just is probably every time he's like not in uniform or not, you know, like in a position where people know that, that he's like got a respectable job, he gets treated, you know, differently because of his, his race. So he kind of, I wouldn't say flips out. We see lots of people, um, Matthew Modine being the, the main one flipping out in this movie. He, he just has kind of like a little bit of a short fuse with, with her, but that's fine. She gives him the application and then when the the other couple is moving into the apartment next door, I guess he shoved the application under the door and it gets caught on the bottom of someone's shoe, of course. And yeah. just like they walk, it 
it gets blown out the out the door. So that's I why miss, they don't get his application. I missed that part because I thought that Michael Keaton like took it. No, it, that would have made more sense. This was just a complete coincidence. Oh, like Keaton had okay. no real plan if he had if the application had not been carried off on a mover shoe. Yeah. <laughs> then his whole plan would have been out the window. I mean, who huh. knows? He will he will resort to some pretty desperate tactics if if needed. Right. Um, or he yeah, would have so else. do what mm-hmm. he would have gone somewhere else he would well I, yeah if that's the case then that's what i mean the movie's kind of just set up on one giant coincidence but mm-hmm. i guess it's a coincidence anyway that he picked their house in the first place so yeah. what um did you feel like aside from the nightmare that ensues once they once they rent to keaton i mean was there new like building and and kind of like were they ready to buy this house together and start this this kind of like a phase of their relationship or do you think that would have been enough stress to fuck them over anyway i mean i think they were ready i think maybe they shouldn't have like bought that house (laughs) maybe go a little cheaper right um because that added tension obviously but no i think they were like a pretty solid couple but when something like so deranged and psychotic comes into the mix it kind of you know throws things for a loop there's no defense for that um, <laughs> when you have a when you have a really uh, plush job like uh, Matthew Modine does working at a flag a flag office, <laughs> yeah. they made like uh, pride flags and pride kites. It seemed like was their mm-hmm. main Something their main like business, that. and he's just like up in a lofted office yelling on the phone. It was the weird that was one of the weirdest. Yeah, things I didn't about quite understand if like he was renting that space out and that like wasn't his office, but I don't know what he did for work and if he was part of that or not. Like I couldn't tell. Yeah. It seemed like that was his job, but he was, you know, handling personal business while at work. And then she didn't have a job. She, I think taught horseback riding lessons and she used to be a professional rider, but she blew out her knee. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because she was wearing it's a new brace movie. in one scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about the drama. So, Michael Keaton moves in, and what kind of activities does he start? Like, w- describe why he's not a great tenant. Okay, lots of reasons. So, <laughs> yeah. he moves in without paying. Um, oh yeah. First one. There's so that. Before he even moves in, he says he's going to pay. Why are the money? The money. They never get the money, but he signs the lease. He goes into the apartment, he changes the locks and then he leaves and then has like some random person in his apartment. Well, not random, like a person he knows in his apartment. Greg, thank you very much. Oh yeah, Greg, probably with three Gs, who knows? <laughs> um, and- Well, he has mutton chops, so that's a one oh, yeah. red flag. <laughs> um, and then Greg and him are like disassembling the entire apartment through like power drills and different tools through all hours of the night, um, which wakes everyone up. They come downstairs to try and like get him out. It's, everything's locked up. Yeah. Well, uh, there's, and it gets worse from there, but I have a lot of questions about what their plan actually was before we get to that. Derek, um, can you play the the clip from the movie of Michael Keaton's kind of like first interaction with Modine? When can I move in, Drake? Oh, well, you know, I just have to have you fill out an application. I'd like to, if you don't mind, pay you the first six months in advance. Well, I still need to get you to get this. I may even have that on uh, the reason for the six months is I travel a lot in my business and I'm in and out of the country, so I can't always guarantee is that I'll be here sure, first sure. of the month. Damn, I've only got about $2,900. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was confused by how that whole thing. 
I, this movie takes a lot of shortcuts in terms of like it, we we have to put a lot of faith that Michael Keaton is actually some kind of criminal mastermind slash manipulator. Did you find him convincing in these like scenes where he's uh, influencing people? No, because then that the way that whole scene worked out was he didn't give the guy any money. No, nope. so made seem like made him like appear that he was wealthy, which is fine. But then he didn't want to sign the lease. And then Drake made him sign the lease, which made him a tenant. So I'm not sure. They don't. I think he made. No, he made him fill out the application. We don't see the lease. But like the paperwork that he filled out was so that he could um, run his credit. But instead of running his credit, I guess the guy just scribbled down some some names on a piece of paper. Keaton like gave him the name, the, the number of the his former lover that we see at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. who not only did he just kind of like up and leave out of nowhere, she still vouches for him. And yeah. then she's like, can you tell me the address? <laughs> where, where is he exactly these days? Uh-huh. Um, so he left her uh, high and dry. And yeah, the, by the time we see uh, Modine trying to evict Keaton, we that's the only way we find out that he like had a lease like we know he didn't give him any money because he goes to get the money at the bank that was wired mm-hmm. supposedly and i guess the when i rewatched the clip that we just played the the thing that occurred to me is that rather than taking the twenty nine hundred dollars up front he was he wanted he got greedy because they're so desperate and when they're like mm-hmm. trying to figure out the total um he's like it's about and modine's like seventy five hundred He's like, yep. yeah. And so he was like, he wanted all the money up front rather than 2,900. And I guess we're supposed to think Keaton kind of like knew that would happen, manipulated him into mm-hmm. choosing that. And so it is very frustrating. I mean, like, even though this movie is unbelievable in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. it's believable enough that like someone could weasel their way into an apartment, maybe write a bad check and, and somehow get the keys before it's cashed. And in some places, I mean, maybe this is a movie trope, but um, in some places, I mean, for for valid reasons, like we've seen in modern day Portland, it's hard to evict people from from places Um, that hopefully normally applies to like homeowners and and things like that. But this in this case, like, did you find it infuriating that they just couldn't, I mean, he hadn't paid them any money and they just couldn't get him out the, of the apartment. Yeah. It just felt really bad. The whole movie. <laughs> like, yeah. Like with every step, I was like, can't they just call the police? And the police are like, no, we can't help. And you're like, but like, it's not, he's not, pay- he is not paying us. Like, isn't there like, it just right. very, they're like, don't worry about it. Just, uh, just yeah, get a lawyer. Just like, let him live for free. Get a lawyer. That's going to take all your money that you don't have. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. It's just, ugh. it didn't, the, a lot of things about this movie weren't quite, calibrated correctly um mm-hmm. i had a lot of conversations uh, jamie watched the movie with us as well and i had a lot of conversations with her about the modine character she thinks he is arguably more evil than keaton um which is okay. a whatever I, I mean she she could she could explain that that stance um what's what's clear though is that modine just doesn't help the situation at any point no, because he, he flips out on the cops. He's just like yelling at the cops immediately. Um, he gets in, you know, he assaults Michael Keaton, which is is warranted. He yells mm-hmm. at the banker. He yells at his wife. 
he doesn't, he isn't sensitive to her needs when she has a, a miscarriage. <laughs> um, so what did you, I mean, <laughs> do you have any defense for him? I mean, I really liked Patty. <laughs> I just want yeah. his yeah. girlfriend. I don't have a defense for him. I mean, I think he's the lesser of the two evils, but it's hard when you're, I feel like it's when you're, he's like strapped for cash. He doesn't have any money. They invest in this house. This guy's basically ruining his life. So yeah. like, I under, I, I'm not trying to justify him yelling at everyone and being like kind of shithead in that regard, but I mean, there's only so much a person can take, especially that that's all they have, you know? Yeah. yeah. The film's trying to portray that he's starting to lose his cool because all this yeah. is happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's uh, such, yeah. No, it's no, such no. an extraordinary circumstance to where that's totally, it should be relatable and believable. There's something off about his performance to where he just seems to have zero emotional intelligence. And I think my theory is that the point it serves in the context of the movie is to contrast it with Michael Keaton's cool, um, confident demeanor. Mm-hmm. And so he knows exactly what, how to act around people to get what he wants, where Modine just immediately like a baby, like breaks down and starts yeah. like yelling and, and, and wanting to punch someone. And he's just like obnoxious and, I think that's intentional, but it does undermine kind of aspects of the movie in the sense that you're not at all, you're not really rooting for, for him. Like at Mm -mm. a certain point in the movie, you should be rooting. You should be really happy when he um, attacks Michael Keaton and, and fights him. But you're just, you're just kind of annoyed because it's, he's done so many dumb things up to that point to where now you just know, up. well, you just, he's going to mess up again, fucking yourself over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But Ashley, um, fortunately for you um, and everyone in the audience, Patty kind of takes over once Michael or once um, Modine gets shot, right? Yeah. Well, and she was already kind of taking over. I mean, not with force, but she, I don't know. They have her opinion as like a really like badass lady because she starts mm-hmm. off like fixing the house, doing the electrical. Like when the power goes out, she's like, I'll go downstairs and fix it. Like she's very handy. Um, she knows a lot about renovations, which is pretty cool. And then when Drake's fighting antics don't add up, obviously, and gets everyone in a lot of trouble, um, she's like, I'm going to go and investigate. And you're like, oh, interesting. And then she basically does everything without him. And yeah. she does a great job. Yeah, all the signs are there throughout the the early stages of the movie that she's the level-headed, resourceful, mm-hmm. um, competent one. And he's the pretty face, I guess. I mean, they're both pretty, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> She's pretty. <laughs> I don't know exactly what he brings to the table, um, mm-hmm. but like the movie doesn't uh, still like follows him for the first half. And then in the second half, she actually has agency and is leading kind of like the plot of the movie from that point. And so, yeah, that was a that was a much needed um, shift <laughs> mm-hmm. to make the, the movie more um, entertaining. Did you find just kind of this general type of movie and then uh, this movie effective as a thriller as a psychological you know roller coaster no no kinda, okay no i mean it kind of fell flat a little bit for me i think it had a good build up and i liked the scene my favorite one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he's like sitting in the car in the dark and she's yeah. going downstairs to fix the yeah. um electricity that goes out and she's like flipping switches and stuff and you see him just like sitting in his car smoking and the smoke's like coming out of his car and she like looks over and she's like is that you is that you? And then she shines a flash, flashlight on him and then his like face lights up and he's just like, sitting there smoking. Yeah. Like that, that was the creepiest part of the whole movie. 
Yeah. So there's more stuff kind of like that where he's just like being a voyeur, like lingering around or something that I think would have been more of like a thriller, but it wasn't that's it wasn't very creepy. It was just that one part. I was like, oh, yikes. And he was playing with a switchblade or no. With, oh, yeah. No, the razor, razor blade, mm-hmm. yeah. which I thought he was going to use at some point. Did he ever use it? No. Because so. he, he played he, with he, it a couple of times. I feel he, like in the movie. he had it in that scene and then he had it. The cat. Well, maybe I had in a couple other scenes. So one of the creepier scenes in the movie is there's like a roach crawling up a mirror. In addition to the scene you just mentioned, um, there's a roach crawling up a mirror and he like doesn't freak out. He's just like very comfortable with it and grabs it in his fingers and lets it like crawl around on his finger. And then mm-hmm. next thing we know, the the couple next door, their apartment is um, overrun with roaches we get a kind of a john goodman style uh, comic relief moment where the exterminator <laughs> comes and mm-hmm. is just bad he's nowhere on the level of john goodman but no it's meant to serve a similar purpose um i mean th- th- let's talk about keaton's plot so <laughs> <laughs> aside from being like just wanting to annoy them or something like what is what is he after so, I mean, it's not just free rent. Like, I no, mean, you, so like you mentioned, he's doing he's he's doing drilling and stuff late at night. But what's what's his end game? I think he just wants back in the family. It's like notoriety. Well, because he was cut off. His <laughs> notoriety. Inheritance. Well, I mean, not notoriety, but he was cut off from his inheritance. So yeah, like, yeah. Doesn't yeah. he want to somehow like get a lot of money and be like, oh, look how cool I am. I have money without needing you guys. It's a weird. He's I don't really to, understand. He's trying to steal the house from underneath them. Well, right, he, but it's like a it's like a. They bigger do goal. say that, <laughs> but I don't see exactly yeah, how he's going to accomplish that. I mean, uh, he's he, done it before, apparently. Yeah, in, in that notebook that he keeps. Yeah, yeah. He said he, he's an expert at this. Don't, Greg, shut the fuck up and don't question me. Um, <laughs> so, but he. We by the end we find out that like once they do finally get him out of there, he's dismantled. He's like taking the toilets. He's taking the cabinets. He's like taking a bunch like maybe some pipes. Like he spends months in there, just slowly like drilling away all the all the finishing and and ruining the apartment. I get mm-hmm. that it's meant to be like shocking, the state that he left it in, but his plan to take over the house seems to hinge just on like him getting them wrapped up in enough legal disputes to where they have to sign the house over to them, to him. That's his, an asset. Of course, he's been destroying his asset while living there. And if he's going to make like, how much money is he really going to make up selling the, the countertops and the, the flooring, the, the like spare flooring that he ripped up. It's none of that added up to me. I mean, yeah, I feel like there's a way to be like a nightmare to to know without destroying the place. (laughs) I mean, like they they were making noise, which was serving two purpose. I mean, it was serving the purpose yeah. of them stealing the the linoleum and annoying the neighbors. But like, you could have made noise without actually drilling anything. Right. Um. And the roaches was a good way to get the other tenant out of there, and then they would go bankrupt. Like the the owners would go bankrupt, I guess, and eventually, it was just well, weird. They just foreclosed I mean, the house, and it wouldn't go to hit. I mean, yeah, exactly. It. Like they could. They could give up the house. This 1990 movie, I think. <laughs> well, I, it's not like I, I'm not trying to, you know, whether or not the the 
rental application blew away in the wind or is a plot right. hole or not. That's, that's whatever. I just like, it just fundamentally didn't really understand mm-hmm. what he was up to, which is a problem for the movie. And did you find, I mean, aside from that scene you're describing um, mm-hmm. with him in the car, I, I mean, yeah, this movie wasn't really scary. I mean, did you find Michael Keaton? What did you think of Michael Keaton's performance? I mean, he always kind of, I mean, don't listen to this Michael Keaton, but you always kind of look like a creep. Like he has a creepy face. Like he always looks like kind of like yeah. a villain. So I think his portrayal of the character was good, but it's just the whole movie overall didn't really enjoy it. I think going to touch on that. Just going to, yeah. He was about you, Derek? unpredictable. Hmm. And that's what made him creepy because, you know, he's, he's playing with a, a razor. He's doing weird shit in this apartment. Nobody knows what's happening. I, I was expecting there to be dead bodies in there. Yeah, I was right. going to be like weirder, you know? But yeah, but. he just ended up being a scam artist and manipulator. And mm-hmm. the and the thing you said with his family. So yeah, we find out bits and pieces of his backstory that he has a brother. Him and his brother um, were best friends with a chimpanzee growing up. We keep seeing this photo <laughs> yeah. of them, yeah. <laughs> of them with true. a monkey. Um, <laughs> and it's pretty, I think it's pretty well uh understood when they have a convert when when uh modine has a conversation with his trust uh person or whoever maybe it was melanie that uh, that keaton's character was just a psychopath as a kid they mm-hmm. basically like uh, that's at least the impression i got that he was always disturbed and so the family did their best to like not have him take them down but they cut him out of the main family fortune but they are still they're giving him an allowance he actually did have a trust Oh, okay. I thought they. Cut yeah. Off so he's thing. getting okay. an allowance, and I think I don't know that he's trying. I mean, maybe he's trying to prove himself to the family, but I just kind of saw it as him being a psychopath. That's that. Like we're not seeing him as a kid. We're seeing like the adult version. He's immature. He's supposedly a master manipulator, but I don't know that mm-hmm. the movie fully uh, does a good job of sh- showcasing that. Yeah, he doesn't so, have like slick. I know you're saying no, like, but it just like it doesn't seem like he's like some brilliant. Both of them get like a really creepy feeling from him. Modine only accepts his application because they're desperate. Mm -hmm. Like nothing about that scene. uh, If you've ever seen the movie Nightcrawler, one of my favorite kind of like sociopath movies that shows how, or even like uh, documentaries about Ted Bundy, you can Mm -hmm. be very charismatic. Like that's usually how you get your way. I think the thing that he was lacking was charisma. Yeah, <laughs> which is usually a key uh, a key tool in your in your um, bat bat belt. Is that what it's called? Utility belt. I like um, bat belt. Uh, <laughs> Hammer belt. Yeah. A yeah. um, couple things. Really glad the kitten, the uh, the kitty didn't get I killed. I know. I thought he was gonna kill the cat for sure. That was like a hundred. I was almost like a hundred percent sure he was gonna kill it. Yeah, I watched another sort of horrible uh, neighbor movie uh, last night that had a fluffy white cat like in this home invasion cabin in the woods type movie and i just thought for sure that cat was gonna get get killed too but they both survived thank goodness perfect um no cats harmed in this week's making of this this episode um what else ashley like what about the ending how did you like the way that it concluded (laughs) i don't uh okay I mean, this whole movie. Um, basically, he comes back. He's all pissed. Do you want me to talk about it, or do you want me to talk about how I feel about it? Um, just yeah, talk about it. Okay. Um, so after Patty 
so he gets evicted finally uh michael keaton's character and then she is able to track him down to what hotel room he's staying in she goes through all his shit figures out like he's camera he's been doing this for years blah 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 she like cancels his cards she like does all this shit with his checks like just fucks him over in every way she can possibly which is great and then she comes back to the house to take care of her boyfriend drake who has a broken arm she's, like sleeping on the couch so he passes out she goes downstairs because she hears the cat and then while that's happening michael keaton takes a golf club and just whack starts whacking drake while he's sleeping yep. which i thought he was going to kill him yeah, which would have made would have made the movie also better mm-hmm. but he didn't even kill him he just like hit his arm a lot his already broken arm. He just, it's shot. It's not broken. Oh, whatever. Oh, yeah. His shot arm. He, he shot. Just, I mean, Michael Keaton shot it. Oh, yeah. And now he's beating him with the golf piece. club. Yeah. But yeah, so he's hitting him with a golf club. That's terrible. Whatever. Doesn't kill him. He's just hitting his hurt arm. And then he goes down to get Patty because he's pissed and wants to like kill her. He just threatens her with a nail gun multiple times, which was kind of, that was a little creepy. Was yeah. Like, well, she was n- using the nail gun. We knew immediately that was oh, going to yeah. come into play. Yeah. Yeah. So then they're like fighting around this um his old apartment which is all destroyed and there's like a floorboard missing and drake crawls under the floorboard without them knowing because it's through some piping in the building and he holds onto michael keaton's legs and melanie griffith pushes him onto some pipes and he gets stabbed and dies yeah it, well it concludes like a slasher kind of horror movie i mean not yeah. uh, not necessarily in a good way but like he he's hard to kill He's um, <laughs> never quite dead. And then mm. Modine is creeping, uh, yeah, like creeping through the floorboards and, and is able to assist her in the kill. And then when he falls backwards, I like the camera. The camera has a couple weird moments in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, in this case, it kind of does slow-mo and yeah. sort of like falling back with him as he falls. And other points in the movie, like when they're in the courthouse, it's just spinning around for no reason. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like I looked at y'all in the theater and I was like, Oh, uh, I think the character's spinning out of control <laughs> and it gets faster. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's subtle. <laughs> um, <laughs> their life is, their life is spinning. Got it. Uh, yeah. Noted. So yeah. yeah. The director they, had some very interesting creative decisions. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the last thing I'll say um, in terms of my overall thoughts is that I love this formula of movie is it the best version of kind of no. the psycho the psychodrama psycho thriller no obviously not um these actors are all pretty skilled and maybe it maybe be even worse if we they were inferior performers so they elevate it a little bit um that said i think the whatever modine was going for with his performance or if it was just the script itself I was constantly confused by how we were supposed to feel about about him. We're not rooting for their relationship. This movie has a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 ending ending is them, <laughs> kind of in horror movie fashion, yeah. selling the house to another couple and making a profit. So they basically flip it in the course of however long this movie takes place, and they sell it for over a million. They sell it for like nine hundred thousand. I want to mm-hmm. say, yeah, yeah, almost million. And it's not necessarily a horror movie in the sense that like the house isn't haunted. So there's, and Keaton's dead. So it's (laughs) hopefully a win-win. Just a nice house. Yeah. But were you happy to see them stay together and, and, you know, like come out unscathed basically? I didn't care about their relationships. Yeah. Um, I, I really, really, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I really liked their relationship. Oh yeah. So I was glad that they figured shit out. 
You thought they were good together? Yeah, absolutely. I wanted him to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't. Again, all the defense of him is that how would you react with this shit yeah. going on? The counter is maybe don't say congratulations when your girlfriend tells you she's pregnant. Maybe yeah. don't forget to change the sheets after she has a miscarriage and, and you come back home. Maybe don't, you know, like <laughs> there's just some things that are yeah. I must have fallen asleep during that part. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jamie pointed out he was making tea. So <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> I mean for her, presumably, but he was just tone deaf. He yeah. he like we see them at their worst in this movie, like relationally. He he points out in the movie at one point, we have to remember the good things, you know? And mm-hmm. that's like a, another non-subtle clue to the audience that like, hey, we are rooting for, you know, there's a reason to root for this couple. They were they they were good in the past. So, yeah, he's I, I think you're right, Derek. He's supposed to that we are supposed to be rooting for their relationship mm-hmm. because they end up together in the end. But uh, there's some miscues that make it a little confusing. And she just seemed like such a better person. So I feel like I didn't yeah. want them together. She was very sweet. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think that's all we have to say for now. Uh, we're going to come back in a little bit and talk about our final uh, reactions to Pacific Heights. But in the meantime, Ashley, would you like to take us around uh, into the basement where there's some amateur poets performing? Sure. And a white cat just hanging out for no yeah. reason. <clears throat> All right, this is my poem about the movie. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> no, no, no! It's not. It's it's fine. Um, Drake and Patty buy a beautiful house that they want to fix up and rent out. Their plan is to rent the bottom two units, and they find tenants easily with minor doubt. The first tenants are this adorable Asian couple who are the best. They keep themselves, pay rent on time, and are not a pest. And then you have Carter Hayes, who's the ultimate creep, who watch you from his car in the dark, just sitting there smoking while in park. He doesn't pay rent, changes the locks, makes the building lack sleep. He provokes fights, calls the police, and makes the couple want to sell or lease. They finally evict Hayes and find out that this beautiful unit is completely wrecked, which will cost them a ton of money to fix without homeowners insurance, they suspect. Once <laughs> once Carter, which I thought was like, I had no idea they canceled their homeowners insurance, but whatever. Yeah. Once Carter's evicted, he decides to stay at Four Seasons, where Patty investigates and fucks up all of his scam accounts. She clearly has her reasons. Uh, Carter gets pissed and goes back to the house seeking blood and he hits Drake repeatedly with his golf club. He then goes to p- get Patty and they sort of fight. They run around a room with a nail gun, a ladder falls. All right. Um, but Carter ends up falling into some pipes and dying. I guess that's what he gets for being a shitty tenant and lying. Mm. <laughs> There's not. Damn. Yeah. Well, that is the best way to evict someone. Yeah. <laughs> Death. Yeah. They're never <laughs> coming back. Yeah. <laughs> well, bravo as always. Brilliant yeah. performance, brilliant um, um, summary of the events of this up and down movie, let's say. <laughs> um, I think it's time to move on from our initial discussion and play our favorite game, a game we play every week, a little something called Rank the Blank. Yay! <laughs> All right. Rank the blank is where we pick a topic inspired by the week's movie and rank our personal favorites. This week's topic, 
bad neighbors, bad, putting it mildly. Ashley, um, <laughs> what are some like example archetypes of bad neighbors of, that appear in movies? Sure. You have those obnoxious frat dudes or sorority girls, vampires, <laughs> terrible neighbors, um, serial killers, and people who are just really into Christmas. <laughs> Yeah. So there's, uh, the movies we're referencing there might be, might be pretty obvious. Um, mm-hmm. neighbors and neighbors <laughs> too. Fright night is, uh, living next door to a vampire serial killers is countless movies. You're either Disturbia. like disturbia. Yeah. You either think you're living next door to a serial killer or perhaps you really are. Um, and then national lampoons Christmas vacation came up a lot. Um, I don't like Chevy Chase. Not that we need to we need to go there, but um, and not not necessarily because of the recent stories about his antics on set. Just I don't like his movies. Um, <laughs> but so I don't even know if it's the Griswolds that are the bad neighbors or their neighbors. But that movie came either. up a lot in the research for this. So, um, all right. Well, uh, any Instagram results you want to reveal, Ashley, or should we save those? Sure. Um, I will reveal some. So yeah. Toy Story with Buzz. Oh yeah. Oh terrible neighbor. Like really Sid, bad neighbor. I think. Yep. Or Sid. Yeah. I was like, but he had a buzz haircut, right? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, because he can buzz, buzz light hair. Yeah. <laughs> He's the evil one. Um, that was the main one. And then because we also had like houses that were whatever. And this is kind of goes for both. So Smart House. Did you ever watch that movie? It was a Disney <laughs> no. movie. Uh-uh. Well, the, basically the house starts controlling everything and you like, it like locks you in it. So it's kind of like a bad neighbor and a bad house at the same time. Interesting. Like a persona. Hmm. Yep. Um, one other one that came up a lot was Lakeview Terrace, Samuel mm-hmm. Jackson movie. I wonder how that holds up, like in terms of its politics, but I remember watching that when it came out and that was a very effective thriller that's in I've this kind of it. vein. Yeah. Like he, a couple moves next door to him and he just like, makes it his personal personal mission to drive them out of the neighborhood. Um, mm. Maybe there were some like, there was some social commentary, but um, he's a black dude, obviously, and they're a white couple. So I can't remember if it was <laughs> woke mm-hmm. or, or seems very unwoke at this point. So those are uh, some choices we didn't pick. Our nominees, our final round contestants are Pacific Heights, of course. Michael Keaton's character is, I mean, we're going to have some pretty sinister choices in addition mm-hmm. to him, but he's he's certainly in contention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we've described shitty. we've described what he what he was up to in, in, in the house. And, you know, the other thing is he just like was never there or was he there the whole time and he was sitting in his car, probably. Right. Like we actually do. This is interesting. Um, says I, they, <laughs> do they ever show him in the apartment? Like throughout, like, I, I don't think we ever see him in the apartment. We do. I mean, like, okay, we do, yeah, but like not when they come him. to the door. No. Yeah. He's, he never came mm-hmm. to the door once. Yeah. Like he, he, we do see him like, uh, holding the roach. And we might see him one or two other times, but we never like anytime anyone comes to the door, it's Greg. <laughs> it's never, it's never him. So mm-hmm. that's weird. Ashley, what's your choice? I'm going to go with the burbs with Tom Hanks, yep. um, which is kind of like a comedic. It's more of a comedy, but their neighbors are murderers. 
So they murdered the tenants before them and they're like ritualistic, like cult murders. So they like have this like really creepy house on the block and every other house is normal. This is like, everything's dead and it's like decaying house and yeah. they're finding like bones everywhere. And they're like, well, like, like, where did this femur bone come from? And they're like, that's from a human, blah, blah, blah. Like, we don't know what's happening. And then all of a sudden it gets like, cause at first they start off, it's like, maybe it's just like, they're just creepy. Like they're fine. Like they're not, they're harmless. And then you're like, oh wait, I think they're actually like, they're murderers. So it's actually a really fun tone. It's definitely more on the, the campy uh, mm-hmm. light side than the straight up horror side, but it has enough dark elements and, and twisted humor to where it's just like, it's a very entertaining movie. It's a, it's yeah, also it's a wonderful got, movie. Got a sinister premise. Um, mm-hmm. I'll take your, you know, your ritualistic um, oh, sacrificial no. neighbors and raise you a Rosemary's baby. Oh, great. So, Perfect. <laughs> um, the controversial Roman Polanski movie. Well, he's controversial um, as a as a filmmaker. But this movie uh, starring Mia Farrow is one of the, like one of the most disturbing psychological horror movies ever and on top of that it combines both the elements that we're talking about so her and her aspiring actor husband who makes a deal with the devil move into an apartment in new york that's kind of too good to be true can they afford it you know his career is his career gonna take off you know he hasn't gotten a lot of breaks so far he would what what's he gonna do to to revive his acting career um (laughs) And on top of the new place comes this older couple who, even before we know what they're actually up to, they're just super busy bodies. Um, the, the woman, um, who keeps like the older woman, um, the, her name's like, I think it's, it's Ruth Gordon. And, um, she just keeps popping in and wanting to give her home, uh, pregnancy tips and give her um comments on she's just a she's just like the the stereotypical overly interested annoying neighbor that that you can't really you want to be polite to but can't shake and then of course um by the end we find out that they've like uh impregnated rosemary with the with satan's child and they're gonna raise it as the and their satan worshiping cult so spoiler yep spoiler i haven't, I haven't um, seen it yeah, this podcast is now <laughs> about rosemary's baby yeah well it, i mean man it's a better a, movie i'm sure it's an incredible movie um polanski drama aside derek what's your choice so someday i'm gonna win with this entry this is like the second <laughs> time that i just pick this every week yeah so it's Dennis the Menace. And for those that aren't aware of what this is, you've got an old man who's uh, living by himself. He's a very angry, grumpy old man. And he's got this kid that's obsessed with trying to become his friend. And he tries to help the, the kid. His name is Dennis. And he is a menace. He tries to uh, make friends with this old man by, uh, you know, trying to help out around around the house and and whatnot and trying to keep him healthy but everything he does is is not good so he shoots uh tylenol into his his mouth with a slingshot (laughs) to make sure that uh he's no longer in pain oh so he's just trying to help yeah he's just trying to help this old man out so this might be a dumb question who which one's the bad neighbor 
the old man. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, oh, well, okay. It wasn't a dumb question. Or is Dennis the bad neighbor? I mean, they're both technically bad neighbors, but Dennis actually has good intentions, whereas the old man just hates kids. Right. And but Dennis, but if, but he's yeah, not, I the guess, old man's not asking Dennis to menace him. No, that's true. <laughs> no, I guess it is Dennis, but yeah, that, yeah that's a. Because I did see this movie come up in my research and I was I was actually a little confused. Like it's it's interesting because it does flip the, the, the script like mm-hmm. the old man's not evil or hiding something. It's actually Dennis. That's that's the obnoxious like neighbor. It's kind of like problem child. But that mm-hmm. was about you know, I, the, the family drama. So I guess it's kind of like a, a mixture. It's 50 50. Both neighbors are bad. OK, two for the price of one. Um, I like that. Yeah. Ashley, uh, (laughs) starting with Pacific Heights and Michael Keaton's character, um, Drake. What, um, where do you think he stacks up against these others? His, he's Carter Hayes. Oh, right. (laughs) Drake was the other I did it. Yeah. Matthew Modine's character is Uh, is, Drake. uh, Again, I mean, he, he was a very uh, kind of like Dennis. He was a very bad neighbor to, to, to Carter. Well, I want to say, Dennis the Menace is the bottom and Pacific Heights is third and mine's second and yours is first. Whoa, I'm back on top. So it'd be, so my, so it'd be Rosemary's Baby, The Burbs, Pacific Heights, and then Dennis the Menace. Cause you have Rosemary's Baby, pretty satanic and terrible. That'd be the worst neighbor you could have. Then you have the Burbs where they're like murderers, but they're actually not trying to like murder you. So, you know, not as bad. And they're not trying to impregnate you with Satan's child. And yeah. then you have Civic Heights where he's just trying to like wreck your house so that he can have it. And then Dennis the Menace where he's like trying to help, but can't really. Yeah. If you're putting yourself in the, in the um, body or in the mind of the, the main character of each of these movies, I think that, that Rosemary's baby certain, if you're, if you're yeah. in Mia Farrow's headspace, that would be the, the, the most <laughs> disturbing situation you could possibly imagine. Yeah. yeah she gets like, she gets drugged um ritualistically raped and impregnated with with the the literal baby of satan so yeah so that. she wins yay yeah <laughs> okay well sorry um, derek you didn't the, 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 the clip we're gonna play here um for my win is relatively this is the harmless like qualities the seemingly harmless qualities of the neighbor just them being annoying I got a two-inch thick solo in steak, sitting defrosting right this minute. When you and Guy come over and have supper with us tonight, what do you say? Oh, no, we couldn't. Why not? No, really, that's very kind of you. This would be a real help to us. (laughs) First night we'll be alone since. Are you sure it wouldn't be too much trouble for you? Oh, honey, if there's trouble, I wouldn't ask you. All right, you go ahead and count on us. I'll have to check with Guy, though. Listen, you tell him I won't take no for an answer. Oh, here's a mail. Now, Ed. Thank you. It's like, there's, I, I know it's a little hard to hear. You can hear her voice, which is, which is iconic. Um, and just kind of the way she runs together those sentences. But when she's leaving, she picks up the mail and she says, oh, here's your mail. Not bad. <laughs> like, <she> like, <laughs> comments on the mail. Um, I think that's was kind of like a hilarious. I don't know how much of that was in the script, but um, she's like an older character actor at this point, and I'm I wouldn't be surprised if she was kind of uh, winging some of it. 
but uh the delivery is is perfect she's a perfect like obnoxious older woman which is what the what the role calls for well congrats drew four weeks in a row yeah you did it no no because no, i actually had one some. multiple weeks in a row yeah like, but i like where your head's at derek it's your turn <laughs> all right well that concludes rank the blank for this week we are going to cover our final thoughts on pacific heights right after this All right, Ashley. Um, we've been talking a lot about the movie. What were the critics and original fans of this movie saying when it came out? Um, it was a mixed bag. Okay. So a lot of star power, which is can be good. Um, but overall, the movie kind of lacked focus. So one of the reviews said... Um, as a story idea, Pacific Heights has a certain appeal. The movie's problem is in its execution, which I completely agree with. Like, I think it's like an interesting concept and obviously it's been done over and over again to where like, this could be done very well, but yeah. Not yeah. We've watched so many movies where there's just a, something lack, lacking in the technical execution. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've certainly watched movies that are the opposite. You can elevate a generic action movie like um, Death Warrant being the example of not elevating it. And then you can put that in the hands of like um, uh, John McTiernan directing a Die Hard and, Mm -hmm. you know, elevate that formula. Um, I was, we were watching TV, watching, 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 we were watching TV and Siskel and Ebert were on and they were actually discussing Pacific Heights. And I think they had some pretty interesting insights. So let's hear from the late Gene Siskel. You know, and I mentioned that the script is tasteless because it has or have a uh, miscarriage because of this supposed mental tension. I think that's really insulting to women. I mean, you know, that they're such fragile creatures that they can't handle a tough situation like this. So, you know, immediately uh, miscarriage. And while I was watching this picture, I got angry for other reasons. I was waiting constantly for something significant to happen for it to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He goes on to say like, oh, they, I thought there were going to be bodies, like y'all said, or that thought there was going to mm-hmm. be, you know, I mean, again, his, his, the big reveal is that he ripped up the flooring. Yeah. <laughs> I was like something, I thought it was, yeah, like dead bodies are like something crazy. Yeah. I mean, like he, he did like, release roaches. There's he, dead cats everywhere. I don't he, know. Anything. The guy in the arm. He did shoot Modine, but that was not like. It wasn't actually self-defense in that moment, but Modine had already tackled him down the stairs and thrown him through a, like <laughs> a, a glass door. And mm-hmm. like he he did manipulate everyone else into being the aggressor. And so it wasn't till the end of the movie that we actually saw him need to be um, uh, a killer. <laughs> right. But, you know, anyway, so. How did it do in the box office? Did it, it is Ghost still up there? <laughs> Interestingly, um, Pacific Heights came in at number one with oh. a comfortable $1 million lead over Goodfellas. And then, yes, Ghost is back from the afterlife. It was never <laughs> dead with a 6.6% increase wow. in its box office um, receipts this week. So Pacific Heights at seven, Goodfellas at 5.8 and Ghost at 54 I mean, oh, this okay. is the ghost's 12th week 
uh, in release. That would be um, three months by my math. And yep. that's <laughs> math. pretty incredible. So, oh, the movie that Dolph Lundgren starred in is coming in at number six with 1.9 million. So Dark Angel, not the worst showing, I suppose. It might even be a better movie. So, you, never know. you know, that's interesting. In hindsight, you really sold us with the, it seemed like the perfect house tagline. At I least know. you sold me anyway. It's but in the star power, I mean, how are we going to, how is Dolph Lundgren going to compete against Modine, Griffith, and, and uh, Keaton? But yeah, you might be right um, in hindsight. Um, what else we got? So let's do our recommendations. Oh, yeah. So would we say this is a new release or old news? I mean, this is, this is definitely no good fellas. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think we might be unanimous on this one, but I don't know. Derek's kind of a wild card. Old news. Mm. Get I go last. What? I want to go last. Okay. I am an old news as well. I, I think I was leaning new release until we had this conversation and <laughs> I'm going to go old news. It's, it's yeah. so, it's so okay for everything <laughs> Just, it should have going for it like i didn't i i was entertained i didn't i didn't have a bad time but mm-hmm. in the in the scale of like what it could have been with these these actors and this formula that i am like so uh on board with just a baked in kind of appetite for it squandered it so i'm gonna say old news it's yeah you should, your your review should just be like it's so okay yeah it, <laughs> It like <laughs> it's fine. It's not okay in the sense that like another forty eight hours was unwatchable and bland. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I still liked it, but the movie did everything it could to undermine yeah. me liking it, and it relied purely on the the premise and mm-hmm. and serviceable performances. So old news across the board. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Not recommended. That's, that's, that's sad. Yeah, that's kind of sad. That's okay. Um. How 90s is specific heights. So including hair, music, tropes, actors, etc. Um right now we have Teenage Mutant Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at 89 out of 90, Pump of the Volume at 87, and House Party at 84, rounding out the top three. So where does this one fall? You know, it's not gonna crack the top three, but no. I think it gets pretty high marks. Um, own books, landlines, shitty police, shitty yep. San Francisco tenant laws. The, <laughs> the, the, the formula, the the template of this movie in general. Mm-hmm. Certainly Keaton, certainly Modine and Melanie to some extent. Like they might have uh, peaked in the late '80s, but they're still going strong here. Um, Melanie Griffith, Derek was this not the star, but a key uh, player. In that movie we watched without Ashley Body Double, mm-hmm. where the dude was constantly looking at like the the adult film actress across the way, that was her with kind of that like crazy blonde um, uh, hairdo. So she's I'd say she peaked there <laughs> in '84, <laughs> but she still she still uh, gives a great performance here. So yeah, I don't know where what's the what's the the I was range the, like, we're in, in the 60s mm. well, like was, so somewhere in the tremors how did why did oh because tremors, tremors wasn't really take place in the 90s yeah i mean 
it just takes place in the middle of nowhere in hindsight yeah. we gave that pretty low score mm-hmm. um twin peaks is at 71 goodfellas 71 big tracy 72 nightbreed arachnophobia because uh, again that was like a rural area mm-hmm. i don't know i honestly feel like this is closer to the 70s or closer to you know at least the high 60s i'm thinking 73 for me so same as days of thunder and hard to kill yeah. i mean michael keaton is a yeah. superstar at this point he's That's he's true. coming off batman when was beetlejuice uh late 80s okay I, I was... yeah i'm good with 70s okay so. 73 73 is good with me um all right and then my favorite right in part steven seagal range yeah <laughs> great um my favorite part is our new release gift shop so each week we take something from the movie and we put it into our shop and we sell it so yeah. we have a couple of weird things in there now um let's see we have oh that's the wrong link it's the same oh cut that out there thanks um so i have some gangster sugar pops from goodfellas where it starts <laughs> off i forgot that it's a gun shape it starts off clear you dip it and it turns into blood and you're like eating blood um then we no. have face masks from dark man with all of our faces on them and then we have which we're still giving away for free i'm pretty sure i still have a bunch in stock so any per- i sold out of mine buy one ashley get 10 drew freeze those are just a few things we have so what do we want to include from this movie i've got a, a really good idea let's hear it do it so as everybody knows who's a listener to this podcast goro is our janitor for the gift shop right yep so i'm thinking we promote goro to lead an eviction service for bad tenants Ooh, ooh. but then we'll have to find a new janitor no it can be part-time Okay. Yeah, he could be like, I mean, if in he could also do maybe uh, uh, collections from uh, deadbeat gamblers. Ooh, <laughs> like yeah. Work for a bookie. So Goro's, um, you know, maybe it's like you if you if you don't want to go through the legal system, you don't have time to kind of like hire a lawyer and file the paperwork. Yeah. Come by the new release gift shop. We'll hook you up. We got the guy for you. Got Goro. Um, yeah. We got the Goro for you. Um, great, great, great call, Derek. I mean, I don't know that this is more of like a service offering. I think um, as we know from the, the present day, MRR, monthly recurring revenue, is the key to any successful business. So we want to get some lifelong contracts. We only sell them. As you know, once you hire Goro, you hire Goro for life. So yeah, you can't go keep back. that in mind. Um, but it's very reasonable rates. <laughs> <laughs> We're going with Goro. Goro is call. Uh, well, actually, you can just reach us on Instagram at new release podcast on Instagram and ask if you, you know, inquire about these services and the fees. He'll be, called, he'll be called the heavy for hire. Sure. That's um, thing. Do y'all want to know what we're doing next week? Sure. Because <laughs> yeah, this, because you don't know. Um, oh yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> next week we're doing something uh, a little different. We are uh, not watching a movie. We are previewing the next eight movies 
that we're going to be watching. And not only that, we're going to give some predictions on what we think is going to happen in the fall of 1990. You know, I mean, we've got access to the future. So we're going to look ahead to exciting news events and movies for the next couple months. So join us next week for our fall preview and subscribe to the podcast by searching new release on Spotify or Apple podcast or anywhere else. Ashley. That's a wrap. All right. Derek, take us home. Once again, we forget to mention score by Hans Zimmer. Every single time. <laughs> Always a fucking Hans legend. Zimmer. That should have been 10 more points. Now they're ready. It was 80. good at first, and then I kind of forgot about it. Yeah. And in some scenes, it was a little over imposing. <laughs> <laughs>